Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have with us Dan Severotny. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited to be here. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to have you as well. Um, why don't you, if you don't mind, kind of explaining what you do and we'll, we'll take it from there. Sure. So I'm a founder and chief operating officer of a company called NutriSense. And what we do is we take three things. We take real-time data through continuous glucose monitoring. We take software and we take a services, so digestion services, and we combine all together. And with that, we're able to tell people in real time how their body responds to stress, food, sleep, and exercise, all in real time on your phone. So it's all about really understanding your metabolic health 24-7, nonstop. So is it is there a special uh, uh, watch they have to wear sure. or something like that? Yeah, yeah. So it's actually a little device called Continuous Glucose Monitor, and it's a size maybe of a penny. And you put it on your arm. It penetrates the skin just a couple millimeters deep, and there's a filament that sits below your skin layer, uh, and that actually will react with your body, and it'll tell your body. Your body basically tells this little sensor how your glucose levels are just inside your body. Uh, and that it sends a signal back to your phone. It tells you, hey, your glucose is this. And so what we do is we have a software application where you track your activity levels or sleep or stress, whether it's um, manually by typing it in, taking pictures of food, for example, or saying I'm stressed or I'm not stressed, or it's through other devices like your Apple Watch, your Fitbit, things like that. And what then we do is we correlate all the data together, and we're able to give you a holistic view inside your body. Uh, and again, this is what makes us unique outside of anything else. It's real time. So if you think about you know, a scale, that's kind of the thing we've been using historically to find out are we losing weight or are we being healthy or not. A scale is, is not very effective at this because uh, you may be in, going in the wrong direction with health, but it might take a week or two weeks before you see any changes, number one. Number two, um, it's the fact that you don't know the composition. So you might be adding more weight uh, that's based on muscle, and that sounds like a, that's a good thing, but your weight will tell you, hey, you're actually gaining weight is a bad thing. Or you might have more liquid inside your body or less liquid. So again, the same thing. It's not as effective a measure versus here, I will consume an omelet, and within minutes, I could see, was that omelet good for me or bad for me? And also to what extent? So you're able to now start realizing not only what something's good or bad for you, but unique to your body. You know, the dilemma here is that if anyone's ever sick or has anything wrong with them, they go to the doctor, doctor tells them, oh, it looks like you have prediabetes, or maybe you're a little overweight, or maybe you have some high cholesterol, and you ask a doctor, what do I do? They give you two options. Option one is take medication, which is something you want to stay away from as long as possible. Option two is they tell you exercise and eat better. But what does that mean? Like, it's so unique. You know, there's so many factors based on gender. Uh, basically, yeah, I mean, it's just so broad, right? Like our backgrounds, where we live, our age, like what our physical activities are, like our microbiome even. You know, we see some people do really well with potatoes, people do better with rice. So these generalizations simply shouldn't exist. And idea here is we tell you exactly how to solve the health issue. Or even if you don't have a health issue, if you have a family history of health issues, how do you make sure you don't develop the same health issue later in life? 
It's like complete data for your body. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. I mean, that's our belief. Our belief is that we should own our own health. We shouldn't just simply wait till we're sick. And you see this in the United States right now, 89 million Americans are pre-diabetic. You know, that's one in three people. That's an exorbitant number. And remember, these are lifestyle-based uh, health issues. Both heart disease and diabetes are the main drivers of death in the US and the costs for the healthcare system, which is in the hundreds of billions of dollars every single year. And yet these are preventable diseases that can be solved by both fitness as well as uh, better nutrition. No one. You just you don't know what you don't know, right? Like knowing. I mean, I think, exactly. And yeah, just like the, the data, just like in business, right, Dan? Like, uh, sorry to interrupt, but just like in business, data is everything. Exactly. And I mean, I think the, the problem, especially in the U.S., is that U.S., we as Americans, such great marketers, that we market everything. Everything's like, oh, it's organic, or it's you know, grass-fed, whatever it is. But in reality, if you look at the labels in the back, they're just bad sometimes. And you see these differences oftentimes. You go to Europe or you go to Latin America, and you'll eat the exact same food as the U.S., and yet you have a much better response with wearing this continuous glucose monitor because there's so much additives and so much adjustment to the food here that it's actually not healthy for you, yet we believe it is. And a lot of times we're paying three times more for it. You know, I was eating this cottage cheese that was organic. It was three times the cost of regular cottage cheese, and I thought I was getting extra health benefits. In reality, my dietitian looked at it and it's like, hey, you're getting a much worse response <laughs> to glucose. And look at the ingredient label and just extremely poor. Uh, did you say the labeling was poor? Yeah, the label was poor. I mean, the, the amount of ingredients there that were just causing health issues, mm. you know, something as simple as like soybean oil. If you ever look at it labels as canola oil, soybean oil, anything like that, you start realizing how bad that is for your health. And yet, 90% of the food is just has that inside ingredient because it makes things last two, three years, right? Instead of, you know, a couple months. Yeah, and so life. for food companies, the shelf life is so much longer. So for food companies, that's great. Um, does that help clarify? Yeah. So. Yeah, of course, of course. This is not as good for the consumer, but it definitely is for the the company. And and this, I heard this before as well that you know they could be they could do a better job with the labeling and the information they're sharing with consumers, especially edible stuff, right? I mean, I think the biggest problem really is that most research that's done in U.S. is sponsored by food companies around food. So these companies that are oh, publishing man. research as part are the ones that are spending money, <clears throat> you know, billions of dollars to create these research to prove. And that's what you see one day, like one year coffee is great for you. Next year coffee is bad for you. Next year coffee is neutral. And you see this with all these things. We've noticed something coffee. That's the one interesting part. Coffee specifically, it's the one thing that's actually super bio-individualistic. So for me, coffee has no impact. For some people, it has this incredibly bad impact. Other people, it has incredibly good impact. And we see this on glucose control. And so people tell you, drink coffee, it's good for you. Depends on who you are and test for yourself, not just hear some broad range statement that we hear from people. Yeah. And so specific. when we started, it's very specific. And so we started this a couple of years ago, uh, three years ago to be exact. People thought we were nuts. Like, who cares about this? Who'd want this? And 50,000 people later, people still seem to love it. And people keep signing for our service because they find a lot of value. Um, and we've seen exponential growth. You know, we went from idea to 175 people in our company in three years. <clears throat> That's awesome. And you're running the whole show. <laughs> Me and my two co-founders. 
Um, my two co-founders are a little bit different. Yeah. So I come from yeah. a healthcare consulting background. Um, we realized my other co-founder is an engineer background, software engineer, as we had to build a strong data platform. And my third co-founder, she is a dietitian by background, and she built the health team to make sure we can provide you know, expertise that's required. So when you were launching this, you became, you know, you, you were specifically resourceful to find the right partners. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I've noticed a lot of startups, what they do is people will go out and so look important. for, look, they look for someone just like themselves. So you have an engineer, they find an engineer, or you have a business person, find another business yeah. person. And that's the thing I've noticed the biggest pitfall for people. Yeah. You want, you want a diversity of yeah. thought. So you almost want to go as far as possible mm, from you. Yes. And so the three of us, Care, Alex, and I, we're almost this triangle where you know it creates tension. There is tension, but tension is good. You want positive tension. You want disagreement. Because that's how the best ideas win. Yeah. And people often forget this, yeah. and they end up hiring yeah. or working with the same people just like them and not succeeding afterwards. You know, this uh, goes back to the same situation with for example social media you know we when we enjoy something one time for example we start seeing more of that before we know it we're basically just recycling what we are through everything that we're we're seeing nothing new shows up nothing different unique you know what i mean it's just based yeah. on your liking and you keep getting that same like yeah I mean, and that's the thing. And I think we right. as human beings yeah. also have this tendency to be around people just like us because it's easy. It's easy to, because we understand it. Yeah. And I think it you is. want to be pushed, you know, people sometimes forget to involve the idea of diversity as idea of diversity of thought, you know, and it's crazy to think about, but like a marketer and engineer yeah. are completely different people. You know, I always sometimes say that, I feel like I'm talking to different human beings when I talk to engineers because they're, the way their mind works is so completely different than they're like a marketer or finance person. And mm. most of us are surrounded you by people that. just like us. Yeah. And so I think that oftentimes is a driving factor, right? And also, I mean, you have to divide and conquer work because there's so yeah. much work. Um, I always mm. classify businesses mm -hmm. really in kind of three For areas. Sure. It's basically like either you build a product or you sell a product or you maintain the revenue of the product. And in one of those three areas is really the area that someone needs to focus on all the time. Everything else is a, just an add-on upon that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, when we're, when we look at business, for example, entrepreneurship, you know, the biggest thing that people struggle with is the comfort zone, right? We, <laughs> We just could a lot of there's so many entrepreneurs just keep going in the direction of the comfort zone. Yep. Whatever they like, they do. Wherever they're comfortable, there they stay, and that affects growth in a big, big way. You know, so once they start making it a habit to come out of their comfort zone, that's when they see though that growth happen. Yeah, I you know I've read this somewhere, but I don't, or maybe I made it up, but it's being uncomfortable, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, and so. Whenever yeah. I go, whenever I go like three, four days and I feel no stress, I'm like, hmm, something's wrong here. For me to grow, I need hmm. to feel stress. Yeah. <laughs> and I literally force myself to feel that stress. 
Um, I mean, I take it maybe a little extreme. I go in my personal life where about once a month, I'll actually sleep on the floor and I'll have the worst sleep possible, just the worst sleep. And the next day I wake up and then I have the best sleep next day. But what that causes that is that idea of, hey, don't get comfortable. Because in our society, it's so easy to just get comfort. You know, you have a nice pillow, you might get a nice mattress, you know, and it's after a while, it's just very easy to relax. And that causes in some ways laziness. Um, and how do you keep that drive going? And so you have to create a routine of discomfort. Obviously, you don't want to sleep on the floor every day because then you're just dead all the time and you need to think critically. Um, and sleep is vital, but you want to create that reminder of the harder times because that's what's driving an organization forward. You know, and I do, I, you know, I do believe there's a state of flow where people succeed the most on things they're experts on. But early on, you have to be able to do a little bit of everything, and that causes you to go outside your comfort zone. You know, you you trigger the stress, right? You trigger the stress, but you don't sleep with it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's a thing. It's about how do we how do we expand our stress threshold? And you know, there's two ways to expand it. One is just be around more things more often. The other one is when something falls apart, then you go fix it. But guess what? If you haven't been around enough things that fell apart, you're actually it's too high risk of a situation. Right to wait around till some breaks and then go fix it. It's better to be m- almost like a micro exposed to things being a little wrong all the time. And by one of the ways you do it is by again just trying new things all the time. So it's uh, when we started this company, for example, my entire background has been finance, strategy, and healthcare. And my co-founder and I started this, and he said, "Okay, cool. I'm going to build you go market and sell this." And my question to him is like, "Well, I can do finance strategy. How do you market and sell on the internet?" And he said, "Well, I don't know how to do that. I build." I'm like, well, I don't know how to do it either. He's like, okay, how about, okay, I'll go figure out how to market and sell. You build, write software. And I said, I don't know how to write software. And his question to me was simple. He said, so what the hell are you going to do? If I'm building, what are you doing? If I'm marketing, what are you doing? And I said, I kept saying finance strategy, finance strategy. He's like, that means nothing. There's two of us here, right? There's no, there's no money in a, in a company. What are you going to do? And that stress is like, okay, what are you going to do? And then figuring out how to try to market something on the internet with no experience, that causes an overload of stress. And then you kind of fall into category of sink or swim. Um, I got lucky and I swam. I figured out you know, how to market on the internet pretty quickly, but some people can't. But that forces you into get this idea of just constantly have to sink or swim. And people who can't deal with it, they should reconsider their entrepreneurship career. Well, that comes down to what I always preach is that, you know, uh, without the without a solid foundation, like without the right mindset, entrepreneurship is 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 very risky. It's very risky. I mean, I, I would also say that I think having context of my belief there's a there has to be context of like success versus failures, because there's the one side where you may fail, and sometimes you fail enough times where maybe your idea is just not the right at the right place. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it's too early. Maybe it's too late. But there's the other side where you need to, like most people will keep failing until they hit a success point. And so I always tell people, you should have some kind of ratio. So you have a benchmark of like, what is good, what is bad? So you know, should I keep going? Because you can keep going with a bad idea as well, right? Um, So an example of this is, we were actually, at one point we started raising venture capital money. And 
we were talking one investor, second, third, fourth, fifth, and I just kept getting no, no, rejection, rejection. And that rejection hurts so much. You know, it hurts the ego because they have an excuse like not a good idea, nobody wants this, too small of a you know, mm-hmm. customer segment. And you keep constantly thinking, oh boy, like, and every one is like a dagger to your heart. And so what I would say is like, have a context of like what is good and bad. And so we start talking to other entrepreneurs who are ahead of us, a couple of two, three years ahead. And we asked them, how long did it take you to, how many no's did you get before you got a yes? And the average person said somewhere between 120 mm-hmm. to 140 no's. And there was a couple people who got like a fifth yes on a fifth one. Some people got a yes on a you know 300th number. But again, those are extremes. And we said, okay, if we get it too early, great. If we, that's fantastic. But maybe once we, if we hit between 120 and 140 and we're still getting no's, how much further do we want to go above? And we said 10% above. So if we had a 140 threshold, add 10% of that, you know, another 14 no's, you're, what, 154 no's? Now we had a benchmark of like how many no's will it take before we say, is this a good idea or not? And ironically enough, it took us, I think we got 137 no's before yes. But the nice thing about this is mm-hmm. we're able to quantify and say, hey, I'm talking to this individual. If he says no to me, it's not me getting rejected. It's part of the process. And the investors became almost like a checkbox, which is like, no, 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 great. Just keep marking him off until you get to you know, 120 to 140 kind of value set. Uh, and that really helped us remove yeah. the, the pain of getting no's. Because as an entrepreneurship, that's always the hardest thing. You have this imposter syndrome all the time thinking, am I doing the right thing or am I not? Everyone keeps telling me this is so hard and people keep telling me no, no, no. And so you're already under a lot of pressure to create the business, but also you have these rejections coming in nonstop from other mm-hmm. people. You know, it adds a lot of complexity. And so the people people say entrepreneurship yeah. is very lonely. It's a very lonely game. And it really is. Yeah. And so And all that you all that you explained, it bring and is so true, everything, especially the imposter syndrome. But it comes back, all of that, it comes back to the foundation. You know, when you when you have that foundation of mindset and you know what is going on and you're self-aware, it's, it's so much easier to deal with all that. Well, I mean, I think... And the decisions you make. Self-awareness is so hard, though, because like a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. Yeah, you know, I think you and I both agree that if we look 10 years back and say, I 10 years ago, I started a company, did something, and I, all the knowledge I have now, oh boy, the amount of mistakes I would avoid, you know, and... You know, unfortunately, not everyone has self-awareness, and this is why I think it's so critical to again talk about these people. Well, no one, no one practices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, interestingly enough, this is what. Yeah, we, it's 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 not easy. No, it's not. Um, I think so. Me and my co-founders on about a quarterly basis. But that's why. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Now, saying me and my co-founders on a quarterly basis actually will do like evaluations of each other. We'll give each other feedback. Hey, what did I do well on? What do I need to perform better on? What did you do well on? What did you need to perform better on? And did you learn enough compared to the previous yeah. quarter? Because it's so easy to get pulled into these you know, minutiae mm. and try to do something that doesn't really matter. It doesn't have that much impact. And as your skills grow and organization mm. grows, you also need different mm. skills. You need to always 10x your skill set continuously. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, self self awareness, um, you know, would help you with that, right? You wouldn't need anyone else. You just know uh, yourself. But like you said, it is it is definitely for it is a very very 
uh, internal strength-based uh, transition or transformation. But once you do it, everything becomes more clear, you know, yep. like whatever you do, your actions, your behaviors, your thoughts, they become a lot more clear. So your movement starts flowing um, a lot better. And we see a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, um, struggle with this because there's always decisions. You know, entrepreneurs, the whole life of an entrepreneur's decisions and anyone else as well, right? Every yeah. life is just full of decisions. Yeah. But the entrepreneurs ones can either make you or break you. Yeah, I agree. I oftentimes at the end of the day feel exhausted because of just the absolute amount of decisions. Mm. I mean, I've always read that Mark Zuckerberg yes. or uh, – or any of these other famous entrepreneurs, they wear the same clothes all day, every day because they want to reduce the amount of decision fatigue they encounter. And I'm a big believer in that. Yeah. I will tell you the yeah. thing that I started doing that's yeah. been very effective no, for me is just trying to get as many mentors as possible in specialized fields so they can mm. help me make decisions faster. Great, great, great thing. And so I will yes. go anywhere from like, a Facebook ads mentor to a Google ads mentor to a modeling financial modeling expert mentor to a fundraising mentor to a strategy mentor yeah, and so having important. mentors and all these. Uh, it really helps you skip the 30 mistakes. Um, I don't know about you, but I've seen mm -hmm. this where I would talk to a mentor and I'm like, I'm thinking about doing option one, two, or three, which you think is the best. And they'll tell you, oh, well, all those three are terrible. You should think about option four because I've done those three and they've all turned out poorly. And they just saved you months of time testing things. And I think that's the key here as entrepreneur. It's what is it that you can do to save time and not spend, like saying no to things is more important oftentimes than saying yes to things. And making sure you're saying yes to the right things and no to the right things. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's super important. Um, I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have mentors. And people tend to think that, oh, I'm going to invest that money you know, I can do it myself, the ego, right? Like I could do it all. I can make this happen. It's my idea. I can go and do it. But the, the issue is that those mistakes can be quite costly and uh, the journey can be less effective without them, right? It's like that, you know, even boxers and those guys, they all have coaches, right? They all have people that they rely on to, to, to help with every type of strategy, every type of, of, department in a business yeah. like you mentioned so that is great thank you so much for sharing that dan um would you be able to share what you feel your innermost superpower is that got you to this point sure i think there's really two here i think the first one is i don't really believe in this concept of like no or not now or not interested or no response right i think a lot of times if you have a product offering or something you want to that brings value to the world, I think it's more of understanding how do I explain to that person more effectively? Or how am I talking to the right person? What it is that you're trying to offer them? To them, you are a random person. And so they get hundreds of email requests, phone calls, LinkedIn messages. So how do I effectively communicate with them in a concise manner? And so the idea of all these no's, it's not so much as a no, it's a roadblock. It's much as no, you didn't take the right approach. Let's take a different approach. You know, there's a door. Let's walk around the door. If the door's locked, let's climb over the door. Maybe let's go make another key. Maybe let's ask someone else to open a door for us. That's the first one. And I think the second one is, I think it's the ability to understand other people's skill sets. 
very quickly because we talked about self-awareness so hard. And so when you hire people in your team, you realize they also don't have self-awareness. You may not have it that well, but you're trying. But other people don't even try to learn self-awareness. They try to understand how to become the best engineer, how to become the best marketer. And so you try and understand really quickly what is their skill set, ignoring what that what they think it is, and moving them toward. And I've seen this, by the way, when I ask someone, like, how good are you, Excel? And someone's like, amazing. And I'm like, one out of 10. They're like, 10 out of 10. And I'll ask them something like, please do a VLOOKUP formula. And they can't do it. And to me, you know, that's like one out of 10 skill level introduction Excel skill. And yet they can't do it, but they don't have a baseline. They, for them, they're comparing to maybe other people who don't know how to use Excel versus I'm comparing to people who are good at this. So by understanding really quickly what people are good at, you could put people in the right positions. And we've been as many places, times where someone is failing at a job, we put them to a different job and they're, they're doing incredibly well. So it's knowing how to move the right people in the right places. I think that's really efficient and it drives the organization forward because in the end, to succeed as an entrepreneur at scale, it's not you doing everything. It's finding the right people to help you and accelerate what you're creating together. No, it's excellent. Thank you so much, Dan. That was phenomenal. Um, I really enjoyed the the last uh, information because it's uh, it's 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 super important to have that ability, and it could save or even increase your income. In a way, yeah. You know what I mean? If you have yeah. the right people in the right place. So, um, and um, you know, I want to say thank you so much again, Dan, for taking the time to come on our show. I'm grateful and I appreciate you. Definitely stay in touch. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And if any of your guests or listeners ever want to check out our information, we have a ton of health information about how to optimize your health and live longer. They can check out a new sense.io. Perfect. And audience, thank you so much again for joining us and, you know, participating in these episodes, sharing them, commenting, reviewing. Definitely remember to review this episode as well. And uh, like Dan said, you know, all his information will be in the show notes. Get in touch with him. Check out what he's doing. And, and this is phenomenal to have that data about your about your body to know. You probably realized at one point where Dan says he knew exactly what was going on. The other person didn't. I don't know if you recall that in the part where he was mentioning that, uh, yeah, I'm fine. Like he knew the data. He knew the information. That is not common to have that information. In real time, it, it, is, it is wonderful for your health. So thank you again, audience. Thank you again, Dan.